Do take a seat and do uh, grab a Bible. Imogen is going to come and read for us. first reading, uh, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 12, which can be found on page 185 in the Bibles. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed to me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." Our second reading, we're in Ephesians, chapter 6, um, verses 1 to 9, which can be found on page 1177. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Imogen. Do keep your Bibles open at that last reading so that you can follow uh, where I'm speaking from. And um, perhaps if you like to take notes, then the server sheet just maps out the structure. Hopefully there's enough gap between each bullet point to get uh, some notes uh, on uh, each part. Um, I'm going to start with uh, a quick prayer to ask God to help me to be clear and for you to be clear as well. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Please, would you give us light from your word tonight so that we might know how to live in a way that pleases you and gives glory to you wherever we find ourselves this week, whoever we find ourselves with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a line from a a poem. I don't often start sermons uh, that way, but there is a line from a poem which goes like this. No man is an island. No man is an island. And uh, back when I was growing up, there was an advert on television which took that line and modified it slightly. Um, uh, it, It went like this. No man is an island unless his name is Madagascar. No man is an island unless his name is Madagascar. It was funny when I saw it, Um, and uh, it doesn't need to be funny tonight, but it's just a way in. Uh, I guess the truth of the original line is that we don't grow in isolation. We don't live in isolation. The norm is for us to be in relationships. The nitty-gritty of life this week will be about interacting with others. Uh, at home, at work, or wherever else we find ourselves. Uh, Relationships are a major part of what it is to be human. Tonight, these verses are actually about how Christians are to live in various different relationships. Um, And as we get into these verses, we actually have to do a little bit of reminding ourselves of of what we've heard so far in this letter written by Paul all those years ago to the church in Ephesus. And particularly what we have learned about what a Christian is. So we've had in uh, these uh, chapters so far, we've been told that a Christian is someone who has come to know the living God as their father in heaven. And that, that relationship has been given to them, given to them, nothing to do with anything they've done. It's described as being adopted, given a relationship with God as Father through the Son of God, Jesus, and his death on the cross. So for these people, one day Jesus was just a name, somebody else's Lord. And then, bam, everything changed. And the name of Jesus for these Christians meant the start of a new life 
following him as Lord, knowing him as their Savior. And then the other thing that we've read in Ephesians is is that for that person who has a relationship with the Father through the Son is given God the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside followers of Jesus so that they are not alone but have God the Holy Spirit living and working inside them, living and working change and transformation, bringing new life. And so we're going to start actually back at chapter 5 and verse 18 to read more about the work of the Holy Spirit because our section in chapter 6 is connected to the verses before. And in chapter 5 and verse 18, we read, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, when I was at Bible college, I did some languages. There was Greek and there was Hebrew. But to be honest, the Greek, well, it was all geek to me. Um, But... The Greek scholars tell me that the right way to understand this verse and the verbs and the grammar is that we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are being filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the filling in a Christian's life. In other words, this verse is is about reminding Christians to let the Holy Spirit keep doing his work, to keep having an influence and a control on your life as a believer. So a picture that has helped me uh, in understanding this is uh, to think of the Formula One race car as it comes into the pits mid-race and the team gather round. So, So if you're a Christian here tonight, This is how to think of yourself as a Formula One race car, okay? Whether you feel it or not, might be a stretch. What is happening? The team gathers round and the team does the filling and the fuel goes into the car. Well, the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who is working on the Christian and filling the Christian. And that, in Ephesians, is described as the normal Christian life. That it has to be happening for you to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to live faithfully for Jesus. Without him, there's no power for doing any of that, and there will be no progress. The next question that comes out then is, what are Christians being filled with? And for that, we just need to go back two pages to chapter 1 and just see what Paul said at the end of chapter 1. In a word, what Christians are being filled with is Christ, with Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 22 
Paul has just described for us what happened to Jesus after he died. He was raised to life. The tomb was empty. And Paul says in verse 22 that God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. In other words, Jesus has been raised to the highest position of authority over everything else. He is the one to whom everyone must one day submit, either now or in the future. And verse 23 helps us to understand uh, what is now happening in the church and in the Christian. Let me read 22 again, just halfway through. Um, Appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, the church which is his body, the body of Jesus, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the church is being filled with Jesus. In the sense that the church is being made to be like Jesus, to be like Christ. Christians, individual believers, are having characters conformed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit to make you and I Christ-like, like our Master, As that happens, God's people then make Jesus known to the world that they live in. Come back to chapter 5 and to verse 21. Here is one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is working in a believer. Chapter 5:21 what will be evident in their life? Chapter 5:21 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That verse 21 links back to verse 18. One of the things that happens when someone is filled with the Spirit is they are enabled and empowered to submit to others out of reverence for Christ. And this is the big principle that will help us get clear on how to live in relationships. We have this big principle at the start, and then Paul follows up with three illustrations of how that is lived out. We looked at one last week in in marriage, and we have two tonight in terms of uh, parents and children, those relationships, and then uh, originally slaves and masters, which is going to help us think about uh, employees and employers In daily relationships, the truth 
and love of Jesus is to be seen in his people. The fact that he is Lord, the highest authority, where will that be seen? The evidence that Jesus is Lord, it will be seen in the church, the way the church lives. The good news of Jesus is demonstrated by us in the way we relate to others. How? Only with the help of the Holy Spirit. Showing reverence for Christ, allegiance to Jesus as Lord and King. And the first set of relationships that Paul puts before us start with an instruction to children. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's unusual, you might say, untrendy advice. Obey your parents Imagine if you can remember uh, the agony ant column in something like a teen magazine. When I was younger, it was just 17. I'm not even sure if it still exists just now. But imagine some sort of equivalent. And here's the letter. Dear David, my parents are the most annoying parents in the world. They keep nagging me about revision when I feel it's my life and it's none of their business. Um, how much time I spend on Facebook and Fortnite is up to me. Then, then, they even expect me to help with the washing up when I've got a test to revise for the next day. What should I do? Yours, Daisy, your daughter. <laughs> Dear Daisy, obey your parents. Full stop. It's untrendy. Goes against the spirit of the age, wouldn't you say? Where children are encouraged to be independent thinkers, to be um, breaking free from the constraints of home and family life as soon as possible. But that's what Paul says to the children in the church. And I think verse 4 helps us see that it's to children who are brought up in the family home. Now, now, tonight, most of us here, I think, grown-up children, um, one way or the other. Uh, but it'd be good to be clear in understanding what Paul is saying on this subject. It might not be immediately relevant to all of us at first glance or hearing, but it'd be good to understand for those of us who wish one day to have a family and to help us to pray for Christian families. Why does Paul say this? The children are to obey your parents. Just the last three words there, in the Lord. This is how children show reverence for Christ. This is uh, because you respect Jesus. This is the motivation for obeying parents. Not at all in everything that they might want you to do. So if your parents were calling you to do something ungodly, then the children would be right not to obey. It's a question of thinking, how does Jesus want us to live? 
And what does Jesus want us to do in respect to our parents? Remember the principle? Out of reverence to Christ, honoring his, him as king, not doing anything that would dishonor him as king. And Paul moves on and gives a second responsibility in verses 2 to 3. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy your life on the earth. Here Paul takes an Old Testament command, we we read one similar, uh, Imogen read one similar to, as given to the people of Israel to help families know how to live as God's people his saved people. This is how you are to live when you go into the land. And Paul says, uh, the command still stands and keeping it will be beneficial. There will be in some way a reward. And we see here that all Christians should honor their parents. This is a lifelong commandment even after leaving home, regardless of what your parents believe. It doesn't say to obey them. We, have, we don't have to obey them in everything, but honor them all our lives. We don't have to obey them in everything when we're independent, but we are still called to honor them. And why is, that the, why, why is that so? Well, it's back to the principle. Every relationship in a Christian's life is affected by having Jesus as your Lord and King. So to those of us who, who have parents today alive, dad is still dad, mum is still mum. Christians are to honour their parents. And the challenge, of course, now is, is that happening in the way that we communicate with them in a busy London life, the moment they choose to phone, are we showing honor and respect? Are we staying in touch? Are we loving them from afar? And how are we going to care for them in their old age? God's word today, tonight, may be calling us to repent of certain actions and attitudes in this area of our lives. Children, obey your parents. Honor them. Next, Paul speaks to fathers. In verse 4, he says one line, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Again, if this is not immediately relevant, it gives you a window into how we can pray for family life, Christian families, and the challenges that parents face. To fathers in the church, Paul reminds them of their spiritual responsibility for the well-being of their children. So if there's a Christian dad at home, this is how the dad is to show reverence to Christ. And if it's just a Christian mum, then the message is the same. And Paul makes clear that there's two extremes to avoid in this. He says, first of all, do not exasperate your children. I had to double check what exasperate means, and then I realized that I do know what it means, and I have done it. It means to irritate very much. Ah, how easily I can tend towards 
that. Another translation goes with, don't provoke them to anger. It's reminding parents that it's easy to be harsh with your children. To expect too much from them, to set impossible standards that make their commandment in the first three verses hard to obey. Don't exasperate. But Paul then goes on to say it's possible to be too slack and soft, to not care enough to set boundaries and to enforce them. Paul is reminding parents and fathers in particular that we have to bring our children up, teaching them the good news about Jesus and teaching them about Christian discipline, how to live as young disciples of Christ. Now, for those of us here who are parents, it's worth reflecting on which extreme we tend towards and that it might even be different with different childs. How do we exasperate? How do we make them angry? Is there things for us to repent of? And is their spiritual growth our number one priority? A thought will need to be given, and I really want to stress this, to consider the home situations, what best for rules and privileges, and what best to help them to grow as young Christians. And at the same time, there is bound to be and there will be potential for parents to be filled with anxiety and even regret. We can't flesh everything out just now if we're going to get through all the verses, but please come and chat. I'll definitely not have all the answers, but please come and chat. We're into 5 to 9 now, not 5 to 9, but verses 5 to 9. And here Paul addresses those in the church in Ephesus who were slaves or masters. Now, the fact that Paul doesn't condemn slavery in this passage shouldn't cause us to conclude that it's a practice that was or is acceptable. He, he speaks about it, uh, condemning it as evil in other passages. But here he is speaking and writing to a church where there are, there are those in the church who are right in the midst of this. They are slaves and they are masters. How should they live? Please um, come and chat if it would help to understand more about his approach here. These, these slaves were, were family household servants. They, as slaves, they were totally dependent on their masters for everything. They had no rights. They had no salary. Their daily necessities were provided or not by their master. It is uh, very different from contemporary employment. 
But, but from here, we can pick up principles for our own work or employment context. And again, the key question is, how does a Christian worker demonstrate reverence for Christ? Well, look at the verses. Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Why am I working hard? Why am I serving? Because I do it to please Jesus, my Lord. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Jesus is there with you in that situation. And because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free, the Christian knows that the Lord will reward irrespective of what has happened. So it's appraisal time at work and there's an opportunity to give feedback about the management structures, an opportunity to get things off your chest. My boss is a nightmare. He doesn't manage me properly. I never know what's expected of me. His planning is chaotic. He makes unreasonable demands. What should I do? Obey him. Obey her with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ with fitting reverence. I want to say again, as with children, this doesn't mean doing everything that your boss or supervisor asks. They, they might expect you never to leave work, to be there all weekend, therefore making it completely impossible for you to fulfill the role of loving your family or being with your church family during the week or on a Sunday. They, they might expect you to lie to clients. Don't. This doesn't mean you do everything they ask. Treat your boss or manager as you would Christ. So, so don't steal from them. Don't steal time from them. And don't slack off when the boss is not around and is not watching, has popped out or is off sick. And be careful how you speak of the management. Don't gossip behind their back. Treat them as you would treat Christ. And I think it's worth just adding that if you have a right complaint and concern, then raise it in a respectful and kind way. And then one line on masters. How does the Christian master 
demonstrate reverence to Christ. Verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So as Paul said earlier with parents, he says something similar to masters and to employers, managers, supervisors. He says, in the same way. So all that he's just said above, treat those under you as you would treat the Lord. He says, do not threaten. In other words, don't make it a nightmare for those who are called to submit and work under you. Remember, these verses say, you too have a master in heaven, a just judge, who will make no distinction on the basis of your role. He is a just judge who will judge all of us on the last day. quite an abrupt way to end but that is an abrupt verse to pull us up short this is a passage full of challenge but when the Holy Spirit is in control of a Christian the sign of of his work will be change and transformation in all our relationships. Nobody yet perfect, everyone a work in progress. All our relationships to be affected, none of them off limits. All of our relationships to be affected, affected by the one who loved us enough to give himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God when he died on the cross. This is a great challenge to live this way. That there is great potential to impact the world around us when Christians live this way. Let me pray. Father, wherever your word has struck home tonight, Please, would you help us to know that there is grace in abundance to help us to grow, to repent where that is appropriate, and to obey where that is necessary. Please, would you help us to see with greater clarity what it means to follow Jesus and to live with him reverently as our King, wherever we are and whoever we're with. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.